What's up, guys, and welcome back to another 25 foot high podcast. What are we talking about? I don't know. I want to go fishing in a creek, dude. The creeks are not blown out anymore. Even though we had a another, it seemed like a mini tropical storm come through today. Like it, I was outside and I heard thunder. I walked inside, and by the time I sat down and got settled in, it was full on monsoon. I thought there was a tornado about to come through. Yeah, I wouldn't, oh, dude. I wasn't too thing. far from you when the, uh, from your house when that happened. Yeah, dude. The weirdest thing, um, I heard like my whole house made this weird noise, and I couldn't tell where it was coming from. And then immediately after, thunderstruck. It shook. It was Thunder quaking. Rolled or whatever. However, that, whatever that thunder lightning does. strike somewhere. Yeah, real close. I'm assuming, but uh. I went down to that one creek that we uh, that we float sometime today, and I was just like, I'm on my way to a pond that I know about. I'm going to stop here real quick. And I casted a little fly in that deep hole right where we usually launch, and I pulled, I stripped like twice, and because I was fly fishing. I stripped like twice, and then saw my line bounce, and I went set the hook. Had a brim on the first cast, and I lost him. Did not get another bite right, right up under that bridge rest of the day doesn't count if you don't land them i know but still there's fish there and i'm imagining since it's a little bit high right now it's i mean it's not hot too high for us to go down there and float and it's not blown out the water's clear but it's a little higher than when we usually go there might be some bass pushed up in there might be some good bass in there eating every little eddy pocket might have you know a creek record chock tall or large mouth sitting there okay yeah, I'm sure it does. But before we get started, um, I want to thank Native Sense. Uh, check them out at nativesensellc.com. And with the corn prices that are out right now, I've seen 10 something for a 50 pound bag at Walmart, 11 something. I saw some. One of the Native Sense guys posted about it today, posted the bag of corn prices. Well, if you want to really save some money, Spray some of that sweet corn cover scent that's supposed to be coming mm-hmm. out soon. Yeah, and attractant's going to be at all time um, necess- necessity because there's less corn or more expensive corn usually equals less corn. So use your scent smartly and uh, because its price should maintain because it's uh, pretty much after, um, after effect of the actual true business that they run up above native sense so check out native sense at native sense com. make sure you put native sense llc.com also we'd like to thank threads custom bowstrings and the best bowstring on the market if you haven't seen them before check them out on facebook uh, they have a website start just google threads custom bowstrings it should pop on up that is threads with a z and then last, we would like to uh, go ahead and get our um, our merchandise plug out of the way. I was just about to say that. And, um, We're wearing different hats than last weekend, or I am. Yeah, I was wearing that your hat last weekend. Yeah. He's got the Hollywood Hunter on, which is a Richardson 168 seven-panel seven panel hat. Got the camo up top, so you can still hunt in it. It's still dark enough to hunt in, you know. Yeah. And deer, if, if, you, if a deer busts you hunting. because of a black hat. 
Yeah. You were already busted before. Very, <laughs> it, very comfortable hat, different look. If you haven't um, tried out a Richardson 7 panel before, I would say give it a shot. I mean, if you're a Richardson 112 guy. We got another um, one laying around here somewhere. Yeah, we got yeah. It's got orange on top. I don't remember. We got, we got another one. It's called the Navigator. But um, if you're a Richardson 112 guy, you ought to try out the seven panels. They, I actually have gotten to where I kind of prefer the seven panels a little bit. Especially once you break one in. Once, they, once, they just, it's awkward when you first put them on, but after yeah. you wear it for a day or two, it's awesome. Uh, then I have the what we call the Lake Master on, which is a Richardson 112 with um, you know a bird. It's gray, just so for y'all that's just listening, it's gray, and um, it's got a burgundy brim on it and then the 25 is burgundy and the rest is black on it it's a very um class hat it um perfect for you know out and about and while fishing so check them out they're linked in the description below if you're watching on youtube if you're not if you're just listening um check it's it's gonna be linked on our instagram we may can figure out how to link it upon this podcast. I'm not I'm, exactly I'm sure. I'm figure that out, yeah. And then um, it's linked on their Instagram underneath all descriptions of our YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, go ahead and check it out. And also, if you're listening to this, go ahead and use promo code THEREALONES um, for 15% off. It's still live, so check it out. That's and, for podcast listeners only. Yeah. And this, one, this time it's special because you only have to listen like, five minutes of the podcast to get the discount code last time we plugged it right at the end right at the end i just figured i'd go ahead and throw that out there (laughs) and if you if you listen to this pretty currently it's live um far as right after it posts if but if you log on there and um you know after this podcast has been up for a little while try it out it may still be there so you know check it out were you wearing that hat the other day at the lake no, I didn't. And that's probably, that's probably why I, didn't catch any. I was wearing the Hollywood Hunter, and it's uh, probably why I didn't catch any fish. And wear the Lake Master, and then you'll be able to catch all the fish. Caught a few, and then let a big one get off. I still feel sick about that. He was, as Zach's gonna mess with, he was at least two pounds. Yeah, he was more like five or six, probably. He felt big. Oh, then that's one place that that lake, the big fish actually do fight. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times, you'll hook into a big fish, and it'll pull drag like on the hook set and just after and then they'll kind of give up a lot of times with a big bass yeah i i was fighting him it had that i was using a light pretty light setup but he had that rod bent and i could not get him and then i tried to switch around because i felt like he was getting close and i tried to switch sides so zach could use a net to get him in and then he came off and then my heart was crushed and i'm still upset about it it's kind of like missing a deer yeah, but it still but it, it doesn't hurt. Near it as doesn't bad. hurt near as bad, but it still but, yeah. you still have that regret. Especially, I, I will say this: especially when you lose a fish and you know exactly how he came off, like exactly what you did wrong. Yeah, because I lost a big one out there that was bigger than the big one I landed that day. Which the video, I think, video's been up for a while. I think I posted that fish catch, but I had one jump and get off, and my rod was up in the air when I knew he was coming up to the surface. And, of course, if you jump and your rod's up in there, they're flying off. Most of the time. Unless you got, like, unless you catch them on a, uh, like, a texture rig, something with a long shank of a hook, you might have a chance to keep them yeah. on. But or if you've got a fast gear ratio and you're reeling while he's jumping. Yeah. Yeah. But 
um, we're this my this podcast is not about fishing, even though that's just currently what we're yeah, doing. We like to. I, I feel like kind of what we're doing with this is like the first few minutes is just what's going on with us, and then the rest of it is like whatever topic we end up on, yeah. and we go off on tangents and stuff too. So, yeah, neither one of us are good about keeping the story straight in line <laughs> yeah. and seeing it all the way through without stopping. And one thing I do want to kind of address from the last podcast, I feel like both of us were kind of like saying, do this and don't do that and do this and not that. Which really, we're not we're not fully telling you what to do and what not to do, and we're and what we say don't do, it might work for you. Like I was just thinking about it on the way over here. Like everything we say is based off of our opinions. Exactly, it's opinions. Uh, unless and- we pull up and tell you an exact fact that is like done uh, that is like deer bo- followed by every- research and stuff. Deer shed their antlers every year. Yeah, that's every- a fact. Yeah, but deer will still eat corn in a pile <laughs> yeah but we, uh yeah so you know far as tactics and stuff that we talk about it's all opinion plus and, uh, like if, what what i do every year it seems like every year something changes yeah so it's like it what what works this year might not work next year and it might not have worked last year and what i did last year might not work this year but 100 percent broadcasting corn is better oh yeah that's not a fact I mean, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. Broadcasting corn is better than pouring and piling. Your pictures might not be as good, but you will get better quality deer staying longer for longer yeah. periods of time. Yeah. So Usually. What did I tell you that that podcast was about? I think you wanted to talk about just like how to find deer and try to... Uh, how to find uh, deer before season to have early season success, kind of. Yeah, how, how to obtain early season success by preseason scouting. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, you know, of course, if you're on a lease, they typically do the same thing roughly every year. But um, there's still tactics that you can use to be more successful in finding deer um whether it be private public a friend's buddy's sister's house uh i mean just that there's tons of different ways that you can find deer more successfully early on to get to develop a pattern now this is right here this is what we have learned that doesn't necessarily mean that we're a hundred percent successful at doing this. Yeah, because we said it last we, podcast, we're not that great, but we have learned a lot. Yeah, we've learned a lot through trial and error. We have both bombed it, and we have both succeeded from it. So you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but also I can tell you it's going to be worth a try. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you will not lose any ground by doing what we're saying, what we're pretty much saying to do, but I'm not going to guarantee you a kill because end of the day, you have to make that shot. You have to be at the right place at the right time. But And if none of the stuff we're saying works for you and you figured out a different thing that works, then just throw everything we say out the window and do what works for you. Yeah, because different places have different results, but 
all every in all, deer, I feel like every deer is different once they get past like three and a half years old. Even three and a half year old deers around here. Yeah. I mean, every every good buck just about is different. You have to use something different to actually get on them. It's a lot of times you will find a good solid pattern that you can apply to multiple different deer, but there's always going to be a couple deer that do something different that throw you for a loop, and you kind of have to think out of the box for those. Yeah. Um. Well, first thing, Zach, I know what the answer is, but tell me, when you're walking through the woods, what's the first thing or what's what's the main thing that you're looking for other than obvious like you know tracks running across the road like crazy what's the first thing you look for and trying to distinguish a spot to like let's just say put a camera up so i'm going to take two different angles real quick one the first thing which is a lot simpler is my lease which I'm coming from a perspective where I've hunted that lease since before I can remember. I, My dad has hunted that lease for probably 30 years or more. And back even the slight history, our, everywhere that we hunt, um, back in the old, old days, which I think your dad did a little bit of it too, they, they used to just buy a Cedar Creek or a T.R. Miller or whatever permit you buy a permit and you can hunt like 40 50 60 million acres or something yeah, something a lot, crazy a lot of land. you can hunt the south half of alabama by buying two five dollar permits so and what everybody did back then when you had just pretty much free range of everything is just run dogs and back in those days my granddad and my dad and my uncles and all of their buddies they hunted a lot around until they found one particular area that they liked. And then when they started chopping everything up and leasing out little tracts of land, they gathered up the money and they got their dog hunting crew together and they leased out the chunk that they liked dog hunting the most, basically. And from then, so basically all that's to say we have, my family has a ton of history on this little lease that we have now. So when I'm going into my lease... Part of it is looking at historical sign and or historical data, I guess. Just stuff that uh, places I know deer like to be based off of how they've been for however long I've known about it. I mean, there's spots that my dad tells me. He's like, hey, you need to go climb this tree because 40 years ago, back when I used to climb there, well, not, not that long ago, <laughs> you know, 15 years ago, I used to climb there just about every bow season I'd see deer. And some of those spots, not all, because deer change and the habitat changes. I think it changes. varies every other year, too. Because. Yeah, but either way, like, there's one oak flat that, it's the same oak flat that I killed my turkey in this past year. That oak flat, if I put a camera up there, anywhere in that place, I'm going to see deer on there. Because it, it's just a place that not many people go. It's uh, It's a place that, it's got thick cover close by, and it, there's enough oaks in there, even if it's not that good of a year, there's going to be acorns. And if it's a good year, then there's definitely going to be acorns. And there's so many trees that those deer have so many different options to choose from. They can find the best oak tree in there and feed trees and all that crap. Well, one side point I like to make is my dad has preached this to me ever since I was little. Bucks like buck holes. If you've killed 
and had success or killed or had success, however you quantify that, um, in a spot with bucks, I would recommend you always check in on that spot every year because uh, when a buck leaves, another buck typically takes its place, the more dominant buck in the area. So buck like buck holes. Mm-hmm. You kill a buck. Like, I mean, we've had it, an example of it happening quickly from my like somebody killing a buck in a spot then somebody going back a week later and killing another buck in that spot, and then a couple weeks later somebody else killing another buck in that spot. So it ha- it can happen quickly, but definitely if you've killed a buck in an area, go back. It's worth the check. Um, put you a couple cameras up if it's if it's private land. Put you something out. You know, check keep those spots checked, but finding new places where bucks live that's the hard part yeah and one thing i've started doing just in the past couple years is basically looking for on my lease at least is looking for which is similar to what i do on public land just look for thick spots that are like off the beaten path a little bit because out and also not even that far off the beaten path it's either usually it's either right off a road or way off in the thickest nastiest stuff is the two places where I tend to have the best success in finding new spots, new areas that hold deer. Some of the best, I mean, some of my best hunts that I've had have been, you know, within 30, 40 yards of a road that is used, deer used, but um, legal to hunt that close off of, whether it be on private land or whatever. Yeah, there's a there's one spot and it's my last it was my last hunting video of the year. I think I posted one after that was filmed way earlier, but uh, I had a one morning which I went in there too late in the year and I didn't know that until I checked my cameras, which another reason why cameras are super valuable. But I was I was climbed about 30 yards off a road and I was probably 200 yards ish 250 from a ladder stand and i don't think many people hunt it but it's still a stand and the deer know that the stand's there and it's just in a spot you can't see it from anywhere nobody goes in there it's right next to a thicket it's right next to a creek crossing that's just across that's right next to the thicket and i saw i want to say i saw three or four bucks and one of those bucks I made a stupid mistake by taking my attention off the doe that he, I knew he was chasing. And when I turned back around, it was the biggest buck I've ever seen in person on my lease. And he'd run right straight into the back into the thicket. If I was you, I'd have two or three cameras covering that area. <laughs> yeah, I got I got some mineral out there right now. Yeah, uh, uh, like I'm I'm excited because I just put uh, let's see four cameras out. Did last you put weekend on them or just I I put a little bit there and then i put two tiny feeders up um i we're not sponsored by but there's a company called outpost feeders i used when we had the archer shop i used to sell them and they're a 20 pound feeder that you can suspend in a tree and i put two of them up in areas and i put one i put one up where if you go back last year and watch i forgot what i named the what we actually named the video but the thumbnail says says i failed where I missed a buck somehow 
last year. Still hadn't quite figured that out. Um, and I put a Which feeder. Buck was up there. I don't know. It wasn't a name buck. It was a buck I was hunting, and it just randomly walked in front of me. And I, to this day, couldn't tell you how wide he was, but I can tell you he had ten points. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just I, I, I'm still confused on that. But the vi- I don't know what the video's name is, but it's later in our hunting stuff from this past year. And the thumbnail has a picture of the buck walking through the woods, and it says, I failed in black and white letters. Um, check it out. But I put a little feeder there on a camera, and then I put a feeder, I mean, I put a, fe- put a feeder up in a spot that I really didn't get much on last year, but I knew there was a buck that wandered through there once that was uh, impressive. And then... I put one up, I, I, didn't, I didn't put a feeder up, but I put a camera up um, near where I had fireball on camera last year, and I put a camera up, um, let's see, what was the other one? I put a camera up trying to find um, King, um, which he wasn't a really big buck, but his rack was perfectly symmetrical. And it's the way it sat up onto it. It kind of, it just looked like a crown. It like it sat different than your typical uh, rack. It it came up and then it came truly flattened out, like it made almost a perfect ninety coming hmm. up. Um, I called him King because it looked like a crown. I put one up in what I found to be his main core area. I had him pinned. I just could never be at the right place at yeah. the right time. Uh, but I'm excited to see what it is. Obviously, as of today, they're, they're only going to have like, you know, four or five inches worth of, you know, rack. But, um, you know, I, I feel like if I see that book on camera, I'll be able to understand what he is pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, but, one thing, so talking, staying with the corn real quick, if you're keeping out, if you're keeping feed out, it's a really good idea to start fairly early. Um, I, I, I feel like we're starting with the mineral is it's about right. I'd say to start for our deer because they're just starting to grow. But as far as just putting out like corn and cameras and trying to find deer, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it, if I don't know, well, I'll get into it. A I'm little about, bit I'm just saying what I'm saying is like, it's good to find deer now, but their patterns are going to change for the most deer change patterns by the time their velvet comes off. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i about a month early on setting anything up. Yeah. And I still hadn't went full uh, full throttle into it. I, yeah, exactly. I just basically put a little something out there because I was out there already. And so I went and bought some batteries and put yeah. a few cameras up. And since I was there, I put a couple small feeders and threw some corn out in spots that I know are pretty reoccurring areas. Um, but yeah. I, I would say, especially, I mean, obviously if you live in a different state, you're going to have to adjust accordingly. But if you live in Southern Alabama, I typically don't start until I start. I don't typically start truly scouting until like the first of august yeah and a lot of times like what i found especially on public land like with private land it's so much easier because like number one you've you've 
most of the time you have a more limited area. You can put out corn, you can put out mineral, and you can you usually have a lot more of a history and a lot more control on the pressure and so many other things. So it's a lot easier to figure out. It's a lot easier to find a decent deer that you want to hunt. And it's also, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more straightforward on private land. And, but like going out, going to public land, one thing I've noticed that I learned last year, cause last year I didn't really have the time or the or whatever, because I was going off to college and everything, which I am this year, but I'm going to try to do a better job of keeping uh, keep a track with what's on my lease. But uh, last year I didn't use any corn, and I still put out cameras like early to mid-July. And what I found was that was pretty much pointless. Like, I had a couple deer on camera that were pretty nice, but by the time, you know, September rolled around... Well, first off, I couldn't get a decent pattern. I was moving cameras around every now and then. I was going out and checking, and I was trying to, you know, narrow down the areas of some of these big bucks that I was getting. And I just, I the pictures were so infrequent in the summer because they have such a wider range. And a lot of the deer, especially on the public, just completely changed their patterns before I could even realize it. Yeah, but I think... Judging off of previous years, last year it was kind of an anomaly. It was a weird it, year. It was a weird year. Uh, we had a hurricane. We had a, a, it was a hurricane or a tropical storm come through, and then a week later we had Hurricane Sally come through. We had a record acorn crop. Oh, it was it, insane! It was insane. You Especially could, up you there could, at school, dude. Because everything out there is, is oak trees in that yeah. public land around there. Every piece of public land out there is nothing but oak trees. Even if you find a good thicket, like those deer don't have to move anywhere when there's acorn. When literally you walk into anywhere in the woods and you got a chance of rolling your ankle because of the acorns, you're yeah. not finding a hot feed tree I, in there. I mean, I, you couldn't walk 40 yards without finding a hot acorn tree mm. so i mean when deer don't have to move to find food that's typically an issue for hunters plus those hurricanes knock down a lot of the acorns and that mm-hmm. caused their <clears throat> that caused their patterns to change earlier than normal yeah so i feel like last year was a great learning experience but it's not the typical of what occurs yeah uh, of course, if you're somewhere else, it may be different. We just talk about what goes on with us. Um, and then when we have a guest, we talk about what goes on with them. But, yeah, well, one thing that's going to change with my public land strategy this year is I may put out some cameras, you know, August, sometime in August. But I'm not – I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. Like, what I want to do on public is locate a big deer – like just put a cast a very very wide net and figure out where the where I can get a picture of a big buck every now and then even if it's at night even if it's you know 2 in the morning or even if it's the middle of the day it doesn't matter I want to find a, a at least get a couple pictures of a big buck and then try to narrow it down well based on what I saw last year and what I've kind of experienced in the past as well before last year i'm not going to even worry with narrowing down that it might take me longer to 
narrow down and kill that buck longer into season. But I'm not going to even worry about that till early September. Just because what I saw last year, like I had a picture of that one side of deer, which I did end up killing, but I didn't kill him till the rut. I got, I would get a picture of him every two weeks and I knew that wasn't his core area. And even though I did try to move my cameras around, I still never narrowed that deer down, which it could have just been a weird deer. Yeah. But and I didn't really pursue that deer. I was more looking for spots on my lease, basically, instead of looking for deer or specific deer. Yeah, I mean most <clears throat> most deer that I end up, I I would dare to say that ninety percent of the deer that I try to formulate a full pattern on are within a twelve hundred yard radius. Yeah. Of you know, when I say that, it's like I'll get a camera spot here and get more camera, and then the, typically they'll be, and then I'll get another picture of them within twelve hundred yards of that point. Um, but there is cases like as a buck that I've had on camera for a few years now. His, his that I caught. I called. I used to call him Browie, and then I changed his name whenever I figured him out a little bit better and started calling him Nomad. Oh, because yeah, he <clears throat> fourteen hundred acres. He covers over fourteen hundred acres. Uh, because I ain't no telling how much he goes on other people's leases. Yeah. But that deer doesn't have a home. He doesn't care. He just moves, and if you kill him, you just luck. Yeah, that's that's one of those deer that, like, you say he doesn't have a home, but I feel like that deer's probably more in tune with his home than just about any deer you have. I'm just saying, he don't have a common bed in there. Exactly, because he knows he's probably, which it, it may lead to his downfall just because he does move so much, or it may help him live till he's like 10 years old, because he probably knows more safe spots than any other deer that you normally get pictures of yeah if i had to judge him as far as age i would say he was this past year he was in that you know four and a half to five and a half year old range uh it's just a really good south alabama bug nothing nothing huge but just a really good I'd be stoked killing. <laughs> yeah I, I would too but like i mean he was probably a this past year he's probably about 120 mm. to 125 inches um but uh so you're gonna have those outliers always and anything that we talk about there's always going to be those different type of deer and I, I would venture to say especially if you're on public land but on private as well for sure um not as prevalent on private but it's definitely there which on private it's probably more of your outliers, but on public, a lot of times, like if you get to the level, which I'm definitely not there yet, but on public land, if you get to a level of hunting, like you want a deer that's at least four and a half, preferably five and a half or six and a half, if you can get to that level and you're successful doing that, a lot of these guys I'm hearing on podcast are doing something different for just about every deer. You'll you'll have some guys that have really dialed in like a few specific zones and there's a few guys who can climb one tree and every year they kill a stud off of that one tree but most of the guys that i hear on these podcasts it's like yeah 
it's all these different tactics to finding deer, but they're doing something different every every single deer, not just every year. Yeah. It's like they if it's if there's three deer that they can kill in Alabama, they're doing three totally different things to kill those deer if they're hunting specific deer. Yeah, and the more that happens, you know, because the more I learn about a specific deer, the more I treat that deer differently mm-hmm. than other deer. And one thing uh, we are we do want to do a, a full podcast on specifically targeting specific deer. That's but this come is, up, but we have somebody we want to bring in. Yeah, with that one too. This so. is this is more of just finding deer, because like you can't kill deer if you don't know where they at. That's true. And you know another thing, um, when you're when you're a lot of times if you're especially if you're using corn, or a, even if you just find a a good thicket that nobody really wants to walk to in public, whether it's just a weird spot or you got to go through some nasty creek bottom to get there, or if it's just a long walk, uh, whatever it may be, you can oftentimes find spots that consistently have good deer. Like the spot I was just talking about that's pretty close to a road, pretty close to another stand, but nobody hunts there, and it just sets up really nice. So I had a camera there all through the rut, and granted it was the rut, but I had... For two weeks straight, I would have two different deer walk past that camera almost every single day at almost the right time, almost the same times. And it would it's not like there was only two deer. I want to say there was seven or eight deer, eight good bucks. And it'd be one would walk by at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and then the at 11 or between 11 and 1, a totally different deer would walk by from a totally different direction. And then it was it was totally different deer the next morning at nine, every day for two weeks. And that's one thing I wrote that down in my hunt journal. And I'm gonna look back at the conditions. I'm not as big of a believer in the moon as far as like weather. It's it's not gonna drastically change the way I hunt based off of the moon. It changes mine, but go ahead. But I'm just saying I'm gonna look at the moon to see if that might have any effect this year, and then. It, I'm going to look at the weather conditions, look at everything, and as soon as I get that same time frame with that same conditions, I'm going to camp out there as often as I can during that frame. Because I know for a fact, especially if I'm in there during that two weeks right before the rut really kicks off, I'm going to kill. I I could probably sit at that in that tree and kill three bucks in three days. Good bucks. Yeah. So... So basically all that's to say is it's sometimes you're just looking for a good spot, but sometimes spots spots can get burnt out, I guess, and, and sometimes spots aren't the same each week even. I don't think they get burnt out. I think that's just presence alters it. Yeah, but also like there's some spots that I've had on public and on private where they'll be really good this year. They'll be really bad for two or three years, and then they'll be really good again. Or they'll be bad one year, good next year, bad the next year. It's just stuff like that is what kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, one thing that I I just public to private land real quick that I want to talk about briefly is one thing. So. Y'all know how it is. Of course, we hunt a little bit of it both. Him more of the public than I do. 
but one thing to point out, you hear, you know, there's a big thing going, you know, with hunters going back and forth or public land hunters, true public land hunters, uh, mess with or joke around or, I mean, some of them are serious, but talk bad to about private land hunters. Especially private landers who throw out corn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, still. And public land, uh, you know, public land hunters just, I mean, private land hunters pretty much just stick to their sales for the most part and show off what they kill. It's that type of stuff. But there's a big stigma about private people talking bad about public land hunters. I, I do want to voice an opinion on that um so when you're a public land hunter i'm there's no doubt public land hunting is very 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 hard very hard to be successful while public land hunting but it's also hard on private land for one simple fact if you find a buck on public land there's a good chance there's a huge public land area surrounding him yeah there's a good chance that there's nothing but public land around him you know you find property line bucks but there's a good chance so the bad thing about private land is there's a vast majority of the time that you find a buck his core area may be mostly on someone else's land. So you can't necessarily go after that buck fully. You have to hopefully gain more of a pattern off of just a little bit that he's on your land that you can hunt. So you have a smaller area to where you can legally go after that buck. And that's the reason I think private land gets a bad rap a little bit, but people don't understand that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, I, I have to agree, but at the same time, like, the the fact of the matter is, kill, consistently killing above-average deer on public land is way more difficult than killing consistently above average deer on private i'm just a fact of the matter it's, it's a lot harder to find and kill deer on public however it's a lot harder on private land than public owners think yeah because there are definitely some some public land places that are managed so well and they have enough land to where like you can just sit at a food plot and if you sit there two days, you're gonna kill like a 150. That's kind of kind of like last year. I mean, I'm on uh, last year on our lease. I didn't hardly see a deer for the entire month of November and the beginning of December. I didn't hardly see a deer, whether it be hunting over tr just trick travel areas or hunting over corn. I just didn't see a deer hardly. Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a rough year too and, early season. And you got to think there's, you know, no matter how you hunt, you're going to face very difficult situations in trying to find deer, whether it be public or private. 
one can translate to the other. I think if you're a predominant public land hunter, it translates better to finding deer on to private land than it does necessarily the other way or, or other way around. Yeah. Because and looking for food sources, that's obvious. Go out and if you find food that's reoccurring pretty much, acorns or whatever, then, you know, that's a good place to start. But you have to find those areas where, for one, other people doesn't pound. And for two, that is travel. My favorite place to hunt is travel areas between bed and food. And whether or not I put a little bit of corn out every now and then between the two, like I said, that's pause time. Yeah. Um, I th- I think that is where your best bet is, but you have to be able to find those deer and those travel areas and work their entire network. And that's one more thing about like public land. A lot of times you have to be a lot closer to the bedding area. And like there's deer on public and private. And this is one thing I think, uh, Zach knew was talking about the native sense guy. I think he was talking about it on either the podcast that he was on or just talking to us or something. But even on the most well-managed ranches, like it can even be a high fence. I believe a lot of times you're going to have those deer that are super nocturnal. They don't, or they quote unquote nocturnal. They don't go far from their beds during the daylight. It's very hard to get a pattern on. Or they're like that nomad deer. They just move so much that there's no way you could get a pattern on them. There's deer like that even on the most well-managed ranches. But the more social bucks... I've heard this on other podcasts too. The more social bucks that are the ones that are more likely to move during the day and they're more, uh, more acceptable of other deer being around... Those deer are usually the ones on public land and on private a lot of times down here. Those are the bucks that get killed quicker out there. So on public land, you're hunting a lot more. Usually you're hunting a lot more nomadic deer that get out of their beds later. And even if they are getting up out of their beds at the same time as every other deer, they're staying a lot tighter to their beds and their beds are usually not where every other deer's every other deer is bedding. So there's that too to deal with and that's another way another thing to think about when you're out there hunting deer because a lot of times those nomadic or those just very hermit type bucks are the ones that are usually the bigger ones because they get older yeah and that's that goes for public and private no matter where you're hunting that you could be hunting giles island or something and if if you have the rain to go out and find one of these hidden bedding areas way back in the middle of nowhere you're probably going to have a higher chance of seeing one of them six, seven-year-old bucks that nobody has ever seen before. Yeah. So hunting in the South, you know, you're pretty much going, you're, as far as your environment, you're pretty much going to run into one or two areas. And you are you may be lucky enough to have both on the area that you hunt. But you're either going to run into straight planted pines that get burned every so often as managed by hunting areas or you're going to run into the top of land 
that's just thick, always thick. And when we talk about this, we're coming from both sides. My, the area that I hunt is more open. Zach's club is so thick you can't see each other five feet away at some points in it. Um, so you got to, we're able to give y'all both, um, sections of it. But my favorite thing to do, especially since I hunt more open areas, but there is small thickets in it. Uh, when I say small thickets, I'm talking like they may be, you know, a quarter of an acre. That's a true thicket. Uh, but a good place to put a camera on there and this translates to both private or public is if you can find those areas and find a funnel between the two, that's, that's one of my favorite places to do. Like I'll, I'll walk until I find a funnel and, and just set up on that funnel because there's good, there's a good chance that if you have two thickets beside each other, and no matter, I mean, whether it be a 10 yards separation between the two or an 80 yard separation between the two, has a good chance deer are very lazy creatures. They don't do more than this necessary. They're going to take the easier path, the lesser path of resistance, basically. And if you can find those funnel areas and set up cameras, basically, if it's like, 20 or 30 yards wide between the two take you two cameras point one one way and point one the next the other and then maybe you can find deer pushing through that uh that's just one of my favorite places to find deer early yeah. season is just set up cameras on natural funnels or you could go buy that that like road fence that's green and create your own funnels i've never done that but i also <laughs> kind of want to but that would, that would be a fun experiment oh yeah for sure one one quick example of that is out there on a lot of the public that we're hunt there that i hunt and you, i mean you've been out there a few times but um especially turkey hunting uh a lot of the deer a lot of the only thickets that are there are these big, wide, nasty creek bottoms. And I feel, I think if back in the day, however long ago, it's all longleaf forest, so however long ago that that was clear-cutted, uh, they basically just made these really, really wide SMZs. Like on your lease and on my lease, every clear-cut, the SMZ, stream management zone, it's, they clear everything up to like 10 feet from the creek. Like, on my lease and your lease, the, those creek bottoms are, the thick creek bottoms are not very wide. But out there on a lot of this public, especially on the bigger creek bottoms, obviously, it'll be, a lot of them will be like a hundred yards or a couple hundred yards wide, and it's so thick you can't, you can't do anything in there. Like, you can't walk. And it's, it's hands and knees crawling through that crap. And because, I feel like it's because, uh, Number one, that's the only thick stuff a lot of these deer have, especially once they start getting pressure. But number two, all they got to really worry about is coyotes. And I feel like a deer can get through that stuff a lot easier than a coyote. But either way, the, our deer, especially out there on that public land where there's those wide SMZs that uh, down here are super, super thick and super nasty. 
that's where those deer bed. And almost every time, unless there's a private land thicket that doesn't get burned, those deer are going to be coming out of those creek bottoms. And a lot of times, this has been one of my favorite strategies. Not necessarily, I haven't really seen that many bucks doing it, which I may need to change something up. But I've seen a lot, a lot, a lot of deer following those creek bottom edges until I find a little thicket or a draw or something coming up out of the of that thick, thick, nasty creek bottom. And one spot, I there's a a public land thicket that's like a big, like 160 acre chunk that butts up right up next to one of these uh, wide, thick, nasty creek bottoms. And in that thicket, those deer will run freely through there most of the day just because nobody else is going in there to hunt, which is one good good uh, plug for the saddle because you could never get a climber in there and you can't see anything from the ground. But those deer will come out of their beds at you know broad daylight in the morning. They'll come out. I'm a, I'm, I've gotten pictures out there midday. I've seen deer all throughout pretty much the day. Because as soon as they get out in that open stuff, there's usually somewhere somewhere nearby there's going to be a hunter or they're going to smell a truck or smell something, see something. But when they're running around in that thicket, they feel safe. So anytime you find something thick that kind of it's almost acts like a buffer zone between one of those thick, nasty creek bottoms or any kind of bedding area, if you find one of those buffer zones, it usually is a good exit route from their beds. And another tip, a lot of times around here, if you right at the mouths of those draws is a lot of water oaks that usually drop about every year. So they're going to come out of those buffer zones. There's going to be a straight, fairly straight line down the edge of those creeks. There's going to be a little draw, like a little, it's like where rainwater kind of drains, I guess, I guess. I just hit puberty, I think. <laughs> but it's it's gonna be where one of those where just rainwater kind of drains. You can find like a little dip, and usually there'll be a little bit of a thicket coming out of the creek bottom. And like I mentioned, buffer zones, and usually right at the mouth, like I say, there's usually acorns. That's a good spot to look. You just follow it down until you see one of those, and either hang a camera up, see if it's worth hunting, or just if you find it in October, just hunt it. So, yeah, and I agree. I agree with that. And I've seen similar stuff on your list that you've hunted and had decent success. Yeah. Um. One question I have for you, um, that's because I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I want your opinion. Um. You know, it's it's not hard to figure out where deer bed. It's probably one of the easier things to figure out. For, or find talking, it's probably one of the easier things to find unless it's you're pretty talking noticeable. about specific deer especially no, no no i'm not talking about specific deer i'm talking Just, about where in general where deer yeah, bed a safe area that deer can live a, a safe yeah. area where deer can live if you walk enough to the woods so how close is too close how close is too close to get to them to hunt i hadn't figured that out yet because uh, like so, there's some situations where like, one thing I think about, like, if, if I'm going in there and the wind's perfect for me, good chance those deer aren't bedding there because the wind's not right for them. You know? Because, like, if the wind's... Well, a lot of times, if the wind's coming through that creek bottom and hitting me in the face, 
then those deer can be bedded right in there and they can see out of that creek bottom and they're going to smell everything behind them and probably hear anything that comes through that creek bottom because it's so thick. And that might be a situation, but then if the wind's hitting them that way, then they might go the other way because the wind will still be hitting them in the face. I don't know. I hadn't figured that out yet. I would like to be able to get within 100, 200 yards, maybe even closer, you know. Yeah, and another question, going off that, what you were just talking about, hunting in those thickets near near those creek bottoms right there where the deer feel safe moving through, how close do you put yourself in that situation to get in there toward them without risking completely blowing them out of an area? Probably usually too close. Because that one thicket... I haven't found much success setting up right outside of it. So I started diving off in the thicket that's on the edge of the creek bottom. And when I started doing that, I started seeing a lot more deer. Which one thing that I'm, I've thought about about that spot is I am seeing a lot of deer, but I'm not... I just hit puberty again. Yeah, your voice is cracking. Good, now I don't know what's going on. But I have seen a lot of deer in there. But I haven't seen, I haven't even gotten pictures of many big bucks. But I did find a really big shed in there. So I don't know. That's something I'm still working on. (laughs) Most pictures of good bucks that I have, or I get, I'm not saying massive ones, I'm saying good bucks. And they are... Most of the time, centered where two bottoms come together to form a V. That that is uh, where if you get on your GPS, you see where a bottom runs into an, another bottom, and there's a V section in between the two. I, that's where I get a a fair amount of good buck pictures which that's similar to what i'm talking about it's like a it's they can bed in that thick stuff and if they smell something blowing in from this way they can run out this way they smell something blowing in from this way they can run out that way if they need to it's there's a lot of escape routes plus there's a lot of thick stuff that helps hide them Mm -hmm. so what else do you do I don't know if we even answered the original question. We we've gotten a lot of good stuff figured out here. Yeah, I mean we're still but, talking about finding yeah. deer. <laughs> so, what is the single first thing that you look for walking through the woods doing preseason scouting that you're like, I got to put a camera there. That was a poor, a pitiful snap. You gotta put a camera there. What what makes you think that? It's just so different for every spot for me. Cause on public, I usually look for some sort of discrepancy in a bottom or something like a, a draw coming out or some sort of like a, even like a fire lane going through a bottom. Maybe just different stuff like that on public. Anything that leads me to believe where deer are coming out of a of a thicket. Because I, I look for thickets a lot, is kind of what I'm saying. And especially I look for thickets that have oaks right on the edge of them. Because if, if those deer can 
I feel like a lot of times if they feel comfortable getting up and moving around in their bedding area and right on the edge of that bedding area happens to be some oaks that are dropping, which that's a good tip if once it gets back into like late August, mid early September, a lot of times you can look up in trees with binoculars and find out if there's acorns there, which there might not always be deer under those trees if it's like a, a normal year. If it's a bumper crop, then you don't know. And if it's a terrible crop, then those deer might not even be keyed in on acorns at all. But if it's like a meat, a normal crop of acorns, you're gonna you're gonna find a lot of trees that are, are loaded with acorns and constantly dropping. But there's not gonna be any deer there because they're less desirable acorns or whatever. So I'll, I guess what I, what I look for, and especially like if I'm walking on public and there's like private land near it and there's a fire lane. I walk right next to that fire lane and look down in there, and a lot of times it's sand and it's cleared out real nice. You can see where the bigger tracks are coming out of those thickets. So, and even on private, I I just look for, you know, areas that, I guess areas that just look like they have deer, or that I know they have deer. (laughs) What looks like they have deer, because deer can walk anywhere. I mean, I just look for... I, the the two things I associate with most, no matter where I'm at, is thickets and bottoms, and thickets that meet bottoms, and probably oaks that are near that. So that's like four things, but still. L's and V's. That's so a good. I, I, I look for bottoms that L or V. That's uh, pretty much like my go-to. Especially if I'm going somewhere I've never hunted before, I, l- I look on GPS and I find bottoms that L or V or two come together. That you you can't go wrong with scouting and setting up cameras and even just randomly hunting L's and V's and At bottoms. At the very least, check out stuff like that. Yeah, like just throw up a camera for a couple of weeks. Yeah, where cameras, uh, where where that bottom takes sharp curves, or where that bot or two bottoms run together, or I mean even three, but that would be harder to hunt because you'd have to figure out which side they were working yeah. the most. But and another thing, talk like when I mentioned like discrepancies in the creek bottom, that could be like a sharp bend. It could even be like where they burned and it didn't make it all the way to the bottom, or where they burn and there's a little section that went way down into the bottom because a lot of times that creates a lane that those deer feel comfortable. Another one of those buffer zones like I was talking about creates a lane that they kind of feel comfortable coming out of in that bottom in the daytime, you know. Yeah. I I am really looking forward to getting back out into my lease and, and walking some more. We need we need to uh, we need to go do some walk around on public if we could ever get a day that where it wasn't 150 degrees outside. Yeah, and 207 percent humidity. Yeah, it's been rough here here lately, especially with all this rain. It rained the coolest down to like 80, and then as soon as those clouds lift, it feels like you are sitting inside of an oven on broil. Yeah, but, it's rough. Um, Anything else that you want to add to this? The best way to find deer is to go out and look for them. 
Because if you're not going out and looking for it sounds super, super simple and kind of stupid, but if you're just sitting at the house and when deer season rolls around, week before you get out and shoot your gun, shoot your bow, whatever, and you just go to the deer stand you've always been, you might find success doing that if you sit there every day of season. And it's better doing that than sitting at the couch. But if you really want to find deer, you got to go out and look for them. Miles. You got to put, you got to lay some boot leather down. Yeah. Run that tread out. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would like to add is go check out our hats. Uh, <laughs> we got that's all you can think. That uh, we got all designs, uh, all designs. That's and all stuff. you can think. That what that, else? Code real ones at checkout for fifteen percent off. I can add that too. Okay, but that's good. Uh, <laughs> for real though, running and uh, I mean, and if another thing, if you're looking for sign. Another thing, of course, this is not going to help you for this coming up year, but it can help you for future years. The best time to scout, I don't care if you've ever done it before. I don't care if you take it too seriously. But the best time to scout for deer hunting is why you're trying to kill a turkey. Oh, yeah. I that, found That is the best time. I would say that, I would say that it's even between deer season and turkey season is probably the only reason why i would agree that turkey season is the best time is because usually i'm not out there much between deer season and turkey season Mm -hmm. but if you go out and you really put in your miles uh looking for deer sign in the spring of the early spring late winter that's when you're going to find more valuable sign than you'll find in in the summer because in the summer it's so hard to read sign with that and another reason being so by the end of turkey season deer are naturally turning toward their summer and early fall patterns at that point so if you find deer or newer deer sign toward the end especially alabama turkey season you are more inclined to be able to go back to those areas and find deer present during deer season that's the best time to scout for good rut spots because the, the beginning's great to scout for rut spots and toward the end's great for fall yeah because like if you if you're just constantly running into deer right at the beginning of the turkey season around here you can probably climb there the last 10 days of season and see something see something at, at the very least see something y'all see a deer too maybe a raccoon if you like <laughs> yeah but um well is that really all we have to say because i mean i'm i don't know if i can say anything else i could talk for another hour but i think that's good for this one yeah all right i appreciate you guys watching and listening and whatever else you're doing it's available wherever there's podcasts and available to watch on youtube so you like you're tired i am and also really gotta pee (laughs) really bad always always remember to live life 25 high and we'll see you in the next one Peace.